Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we've been broadcasting this show for a number of years now, and it's nothing as compared to the lifespan of Londonist as an entity. Londonist comes up for its 10th anniversary later this year. And to be honest, if you were going to pick a subject to blog about, to broadcast about, you really couldn't want for a better one than London. The wealth of things to discover about the city, the number of ways to look at it, its ever-changing face. It's the perfect subject. And so in terms of topics for individual episodes and in terms of people that we could meet and talk to, we can rest assured that the well is never going to run dry. But with so much material to choose from, it might be that we've uh, failed to spot something. Maybe there's an aspect of London life that you'd like to see represented on Londonist Out Loud. Is there somewhere you've been that you'd like to recommend to us? Or indeed a place that you might not get a chance to visit yourself? Maybe we could go along and get behind the closed doors. Is there a particular person you'd like to hear on the show? In the nicest possible way, we'd love you to tell us where to go. For example, Emma has been in touch and she was keen to see the amount of scientific content on the show increased. And that happens to tie in really nicely with where our thinking was at. And we are talking to one or two institutions around town to see what can't be shaken out. I'm eyeing up a seismologist even as we speak. And we'd love to hear your view as well. You can contact Londonist Out Loud via any of the usual routes. We're at Londonist Sound on Twitter. Info at LondonistOutloud.com will get you through by email. And of course there's the much underused comments section on the broadcast page of every episode of this show. More on those anniversary celebrations in future episodes. For now though, July is history. It's the 1st of August, 2014. I'm N. Quentin Wolf, and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey, baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a strong throw from your front door. you're keeping well and enjoying the summer i'm in the east end of london just off the bethnal green road tucked away a couple of blocks back it's a little green space called warner green immaculate i would say 
and it's in amongst some very tidy and new-looking residential buildings. Now, rather unusually, I've started this week's episode before I've run into my guest, which is a, a dangerous strategy. But, well, look, I need to let you in on a secret. The mission briefs have been getting increasingly strange over recent weeks. The description I was given of the Brunel Museum was that it was a museum with nothing in it, and so it proved. Lots of stories, but no exhibits there. And it's gotten weirder from that point on. In a couple of weeks' time, I'm supposed to be heading off to one of the major interchange stations in London to visit a platform that isn't there. And I gather we're going to be talking about tights. Yeah. And this week, well, I gather that what I'm here to look at is a shop made entirely out of felt. Now, I don't know if this is enough to sustain a broadcast, but for now, I'm wandering along Wellington Row, and the buildings here seem perfectly normal. Uh, Lots of brownstone terrace to my right. On the left-hand side, uh, five-storey residential blocks... And we've got what looks like it might have been the Prince of Wales pub just there. Uh, I don't think it's trading as a pub anymore. It's probably been turned into houses. And that's interesting. On the opposite corner, there's another converted pub by the looks of it. And that says a lot about the area, actually. The many places that used to be operated by the Truman Brewery. A great many of them seem to have uh, disappeared and become somewhere to live rather than somewhere to drink. Still no sign of a material shop there. Well, this isn't looking promising. uh, I can see a good way up Wellington Road now. The terrace seems to continue forever. (coughs) Typical dog. No concern for a live broadcast. Our building works are plenty now on the left-hand side. The next two blocks are shrouded in scaffolding and netting. And then on the corner, well, uh, traditionally with long rows, it's the corner where the retail outlet will be positioned. There are two there. Both of them, again, look like they're homes. I think it's number 19 I'm looking for. Must be getting close. Oh, yes, here we go 31, 20, 27, 25, 23. Aha. Okay, one of those two shops called the Corner Shop. Looks pretty solid to me. I can't see that it's made out of material. Let's find out what's going on inside. Lucy? Yes. Hi, Lucy. Nice to meet you. You are right? Yeah. Come in, come in. Well, here we are. Ah, now, okay, I see what we're talking about here. I'll introduce you to Lucy in just a second once I've introduced myself. But first, the the vision that has uh, greeted me upon arrival is a lot of products, and every single thing appears to have been stitched. We can see shelves, newspaper racks... <laughs> even a chewing gum dispensary there and the cash tool too it all looks as though it's been fabricated well this is going to defy even my powers of audio description because it's like seeing things through a stained glass window in fact everything is just right when it's 
out of the corner of your eye and then as soon as you focus on it you realise that every item has this unusual quality of course because it's been made out of materials that it wouldn't ordinarily be uh, the one thing that seems to be made out of the correct materials is Lucy Sparrow hello Lucy Sparrow hello how you doing yeah, I'm good what the hell is going on here well this is my corner shop it's my biggest project to date I guess first it was a derelict corner shop and, and now it's a, a fully fledged felt one <laughs> I suppose um, I mean obviously I've been looking at it for the last uh, week and a half but f- yeah for, for someone coming in with fresh eyes I imagine it does look very strange Now the easiest thing in the world to do would be to slap a photo of this onto a blog and say this is what we're talking about uh, but because we're working with sound it requires us to handle things in a slightly different way and I, I'm biased of course but for me it's a rather more in-depth way because uh, rather than simply feasting visually we can get into the ideas that underpin all of this. It looks like a project that would take a considerable investment of, of time as well as uh, concentration and there's an element of this I can see straight away where you've had to produce the same item again and again so you've got racks of the same packet of crisps as you would find in a, a shop uh, just behind you there we can see lots of fruit the fruit have faces I'm sure if we go into any East End uh, grocer, we would find exactly the same thing. But what about this? It's kind of a, a Warhol thing, isn't it, really? Reproducing the same item of uh, grocery again and again. What's the intention there? Well, the intention is is what I've done with, with all my work, is is to produce something that already exist, um, exists in real life. So by its very nature, you're already making a completely pointless bit of art. But my spin on it is that it, that it is sewn. It's making the world a more comfortable place and a more fluffy and friendlier place by making absolutely everything cuddleable. Is that genuinely the intention? It's part of the intention. You, you want somebody to come and snuggle up with your artwork? On this occasion, no, because it's, been ta- it's taken so long to make um, and it's got to last a month. So, unfortunately, it's... Uh, it's not open to full-on cuddling um, mode uh, as of uh, as of tomorrow. I'm afraid um, people are going to just have to feast with their eyes. So it's approachable rather than tactile. I mean, it's tactile in that you'll absolutely want to touch it, but it's also playing with that sort of oh, so much temptation of 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 like I just want to touch a lot, but they're not allowed to. I wonder if we shouldn't start with a bit of a tour of the place because however much description I give of the overall impression, it's the detail that counts here, I think. Absolutely. I I fully agree. Shall we start with this first shelf here? Okay, so this is the long rack. If you were in your average corner store, then this would be where you'd find the provisions that aren't sweeties. On this first shelf, we've got um, the beer that isn't in the fridge. Now, this has come from um, an idea that... um, my partner and I always talk about how in Britain drinks aren't overly refrigerated and he finds this very very frustrating Um, so I made a pointed effort to to have beer refreshing beer at a lukewarm temperature (laughs) (laughs) yeah the principle behind uh, British beer is that it is refrigerated briefly at best refrigerated briefly in a panic maybe in a freezer from the beer, the warm beer, um, probably hot in this case because uh, felt is very hot and it's very hot to work with. Um, 
It has been qu- quite a struggle this summer. Uh, in the winter, it was lovely. Once it hit probably about May or June, things started getting a bit sweaty. So on the bottom shelf here, we have um, the large packets of crisps, the ones that you're supposed to share, but you never do. <laughs> and never in my case are like, good to share. You're like, I'm not sharing that. Um, so from there, uh, we've got biscuits on the top shelf um, with the tea, classic staples that uh, you'd probably come to a corner shop for. Moving along, we've got my favourite section, which is the, the toiletries, uh, the cat food. God knows why they always put cat, dog food, cat litter and stuff with sort of medicine and cleaning products. I'll never understand that. They never put it with normal food. There's a bit of a logic going on there, isn't there? I don't know. My sister used to eat cat food, so um, it would make perfect sense for me to put the tins next to other tins. It's not as if it's going to get out the tin and infect all the others. (laughs) I can see something along the top here, which you don't normally see in this position on the shelf. No, this is is the uh, uh, possibly X-rated section. No, actually... The porn mag section is the X-rated, but we'll come to that later. So we've got some, we've got Durex Extra Safe because you know, stay safe. Uh, we've got some tropical flavored Durex and some KY jelly and some pregnancy tests for the aftermath of the previous ones. Oh, I can't remember for Australian listeners. I think there's an issue around what we've just said here. Uh, I, I forget which one is it. Sellotape that's the that's the Australian version of Durex or, or something. Anyway, what? With, oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, no, it's true. I think you, I can't remember where. Uh, if you go into a shop in one of the countries and you say the wrong thing, then they that's uh, awkward. Yeah, very much so. It just occurred to me that what we're doing is listing products that you'd find in a corner shop, <laughs> which we could do. We could do exactly the same commentary that we've just done in any corner shop. In fact, we should, uh, we b- should back up a little. More on the stitching. Yeah, we, I, I we really that. should. I noticed uh, that there's several different sorts of stitch at play, and I'm, I'm not enough of a needle crafts person to be able to say too much about that, and I know you, you will, of course, be able to. But the level of verisimilitude is kind of incredible. I don't know if you ever do the thing. I'm just closing my eyes so that I, I look like I'm uh, being sneaky, so that I can just see out of them. And if you do that, this whole place looks utterly plausible. It does indeed. I've just taken my glasses off. And I'm kind of squinting my eyes. Uh, yeah, it all does look very convincing. I think I, I've done a pretty good job at getting things about the right size. There, there's a little bit of a scale issue sometimes where I haven't. I, ne- I didn't measure anything. So um, apart from the newspapers. So you've produced the same items again and again, but without using any sort of measurement. No, I mean I made one, and then I made the rest of them look the same as the other ones but no there wasn't any measurement happening so yeah I I guess some of it is probably going to be quite off and you can see the stitching I mean in a lot of places here there's no attempt to hide the stitching and indeed it's in a color that's slightly different from the product itself but that doesn't really detract at all from the realism of it um off off to the left here we've got as you say colgate and listerine and uh, other brands are available various shampoos and shampoos and bleaches next to each other i would suggest that's bad shopkeeping no i don't think so i think it's got, all got uh, got to be shoved in one place in the general under the general term of cleaning <laughs> you put the you put the domestos between the bubble bath and the wash and go <laughs> oh yeah i didn't even notice that maybe that needs a bit of a move around yeah, that's uh, that's possibly an error on my part. 
All right, I'm getting a bit of a flavour of what we've got. We are heading around, I can see filthy literature on the horizon there. I'm not sure how much detail we'll even be able to go into about the, what's the um, What's the ethos really here? I mean, you like the approachability idea, but why is fluffiness important? And is that really what you're up to? Fluffiness is incredibly important, I think. It doesn't so much come across with Corner Shop, but in previous work that um, I've done, I find that when you've got a fabric as innocent as felt, because there's all sorts of associations with sort of play school and that very... um, It's sort of that very like playful fabric, you've got like fuzzy felt, and it's that association with being very young. Um, It gives you the opportunity to play with a lot more serious subjects without... Um, not that I'm afraid of offending people, but I think sometimes when you go for quite meaty subjects, it can be too much to do it with, like, maybe paint or photography. It, it, it's too obvious. But with felt, I find that you can make, um, for instance, a diary of a serial killer with all sorts of crazy drawings of dead flies and knives and scary things like that, or you can have some really filthy porn mags. Um, and... I wanted to sort of play with how much reality that you can get away with that people would be, you know, utterly convinced. I mean, I, I, it's it's hard it's hard to explain. Um, the porn mags, for instance, how convincing do they have to be before someone's sexually attracted to a bit of felt? And I think that's something that I, I really like dealing with. Well, I, I like that as well. I'm not sure how the same idea would play out when it comes to the products here, other than sort of the perhaps somebody reaching out. But I, I think with the idea of them being collected together like this, you're going to be onto the idea pretty quickly, aren't you? It's, it, you're only going to be one product in before you spot what the game is. Well, I think people are increasingly um, distracted. Um, and it, we've had <laughs> how, no, hang on. <laughs> how distracted would you have to be? Okay, I, I walk into the felt shop. I reach out for product number one. Oh, it's felt. But then I still reach out for product. Oh, oh, oh it's felt. And then number three. Oh, oh it's felt. Yes, possibly. Yeah. After after the first product, I'll give you that one. But let me tell you a little anecdote. Um, last, uh, well, a couple of days ago, actually, um, I was stocking the shelves, generally tidying. It's so hot in here; we have to keep the doors open. Um, guy walks in, grabs the tenner out of his pocket, gets to the till, goes to open his mouth and can't say anything he and he backs away from the door <laughs> very slowly but sort of just panicked um and leaves and doesn't say a word um i i like that awkwardness that is achieved i like that embarrassment and that challenge of of britishness that I wonder if anyone's actually just going to be like, oh, my God, wow, that's amazing. Or if they're just going to be like, sorry, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. And they're so embarrassed that they didn't realise, you know, we're a very embarrassed nation. It's... Well, I can't help thinking that somebody who's uh, enjoying their weekend in a particular way could easily be uh, wrong-footed by this. I think it's going to happen again and again. Um I want to video people's reactions as they come through the door. It's that experiment with familiarity and distraction. You know, we're increasingly all on our phones and stuff, so much so that you have to dodge people in the street in case, you know, you walk into them because they're just so engrossed in what they're doing. Um, I don't think it's unusual that people walk into a shop, order their cigarettes and walk out again without even looking anyone in the eye. 
and it's that sort of um, engagement um, that is that is lacking or has reduced over the last maybe 10 years the danger of partial engagement yes definitely the danger of partial engagement or or the fact that you might have any kind of meaningful conversation not about the weather or um well that's about it actually and we should say that you're opening today which is friday yes um opening tonight at 6 p.m to 9 p.m it's the opening night and from every day from then on, including Sundays, 10am till 7pm. Until? Until the 31st of August. Right the way through. So now the obvious thing, of course, is that this is not on a major artistic thoroughfare. You're not right at the heart of one of the zones that one might go to expecting to find art. So you're going to be drawing a slightly different crowd along with people who've come here on purpose to see what's going on. And I'm wondering how you intend playing your role to these uh, unsuspecting would-be punters well that was absolutely the intention from the very beginning it was to with with it still being in east london because obviously that is a very sort of creative hub where a lot of things happen but it is off the beaten track enough that people aren't necessarily expecting and it, it and i wanted this shop to be right in the middle of a community that wouldn't normally come across this this part and it's it's a lot harder to have an exhibition in a place that is unknown than in a gallery. I don't know if you've ever tried to publicise an art event in a place that doesn't essentially exist, but it's so hard. <laughs> a place that doesn't exist? Well, yeah, that's going into a different dimension. But uh, I, is, I think the local residents might disagree. <laughs> well, to them, this has been a derelict laundrette for the last five or six years, and in the preparation coming up to it in the last week where we've been putting everything together they honestly think it's going to be a corner shop and no matter how much you try and explain it they're often in quite a rush to move on and and not necessarily hear what you have to say so consequently i've kind of just let them think that it is a normal shop that's opening and it isn't made of felt so um I hear people outside the window and they're like, oh, it's going to be a vintage sweet shop. And I don't correct them. And maybe that's really evil on my part. Probably is. I just sort of want to let your feeling about that evolve a little further. I'm curious to know whether you actually feel any guilt. I do feel quite guilty because... I don't know. I don't know. This horrible, playful and evil part of my personality really wants to mess with people's heads I anticipate a slight amount of anger um, because people don't like being humiliated and they don't like being embarrassed and I worry that people feel fooled and they're going to come in and they, they're not going to be very happy with me put it that way we seem to have moved on fairly rapidly from you wanting everything to be fluffy. We do, we do. I mean, there, there are many layers of, of, of feltism, as I call it. Um, it. It has sort of like that nice, uh, nice veneer of, of, you know, making the world a nicer place, everything being very um, harmless, but also that dark undertone where it's like oh, I want to mess with people's heads and just I want to I want to confuse people and, and challenge them so yeah possibly it is quite a, um, a schizophrenic view of, of my art and my art practice but I think it's working it's working in my head 
I find that very interesting because it's quite easy, very lazy as well, I suppose, to think of art as, well, a nice classical painting and somebody goes to a gallery and they go, ah, oh, that's, that's very well painted. And that's sort of benign, appreciative thing. And, of course, there are so many other emotions that could be stirred up. Is, is this a point on a continuum or is this a new departure? It's definitely a point on a continuum. Um, it... <laughs> Ashamedly, I do have a, a sort of 5, 10, 15 year plan because I'm one of those horrendous list makers that uh, like, to, like to plan things. In, in terms of art, um, maybe it's not the, the traditional creative way of looking at things. Um, I like that on a surface, it's very, very pleasing. But I think the more you look and the more you dig, the more you can find and the more you can sort of... Um, deduct from what the corner shop is about and it's going to lead into other projects that aren't going to be so aesthetically pleasing or aren't going to be so publicly friend you know public friendly so it's a very small slice of what there is to come no matter how big the project is now well that's one of the most threatening things i think i've ever heard yeah it's pretty terrifying get ready (laughs) londonist out loud is sponsored by audible to claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk londonist and click through. Well, we should move on and have a look at the newspapers, and uh, we can see that the... Oh, good, the tube strikes off. This is excellent news. The tube strike is off. Um, so Boris Johnson um, discussed that all the tubes um, were going to be run by steam locomotives um, because he thought that it would be good for the tourism. But then uh, there was like big riots in Felt World and they decided, oh, no, no, bad idea. And they took a step back and, and admitted that it was just a drunken idea on a, on a late night uh, whim. So uh, that's off. Tube strike's off. That's fantastic. Could we just back up a second there? Felt World. Yeah. Um, okay. This, this are, these are darker waters. The, yeah, these perhaps are darker waters. In, I think I exist on two planes. One is in um, sort of extreme reality where I, I, do, I know what's going on um, and I'm pleased to be part of it. And then when stuff starts going wrong and it gets a bit scary, it's like, oh, well, there's this other world. There's this alternative world that you could go into where everything is a lot more fun. Um, and maybe it's like some kind of crazy defence mechanism for when the world gets a bit scary. Are you talking about, and I'm taking you at face value at this point, are you talking about getting into the process of putting stuff together or are you talking about some other imaginative zone that doesn't necessarily find uh, manifestation here? I'm talking about another imaginative, imaginary zone, Um I, I, th- I think that felt world is definitely something that I've created. Um, it exists in every sort of aspect of my life, and it's something that I don't generally talk about so much because it is so ingrained in in my work. And people don't really ask that question much. They don't. They sort of ask why, but not necessarily get so deep as to be like, what? It's very much about the material sort of uh, surface stuff. Oh, I like that double meaning of material there. That's interesting. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, now, of course, I'm very keen to Intrigued. explore <laughs> further into Felt World. So 
And I hope it's okay to talk about this. It's absolutely fine. So you, you, let's say you're having a bad day, and whatever a bad day might mean for you, or whatever the, the cause is for you to want to disappear off. Um, how, how does that work for you? Well, I, I think that everyone has coping mechanisms to, for when it's a bad day. You know, those days where, you know, you feel absolutely rubbish and you don't want to get up and you just want to hide in the duvet. And, and it's not that sort of, I'm just tired, I don't want to get to work. It, I'm, I'm talking about, like, depression and, and mental illness because that is a theme that very much runs through all my work. It's... Um, some people do it with drinks, some people do it with drugs, some people do it with skydiving. I don't know. Um, I feel that felt and to have some kind of world where you can flip between the two is very beneficial for when you're in one of those grim moods where you don't want to do anything. Everything is all going wrong in the real world, but in felt world, the sun is always shining. It's always fantastic. Um, everything always works fine and, and is always fun and fluffy. Hence the tube strike being off, perhaps. Yeah, well, nobody wants uh, congestion and um, delays on their commute in Feltland. I'm not completely idealistic. There's still stuff that goes wrong in Feltland. I'm not, uh, I, I don't think it's without its faults. It still has the everyday things of, uh, of, of congestion, of traffic, and, and, uh, and some things going wrong. There's still some dark points. I want to just be very, very blunt, very straightforward question. How sincere are you in what you've just said? I'm extremely sincere. I know I'm not. I'm not off. The, I'm not off the planet. I know, obviously, that we're standing here, and and <laughs> but my art is such a massive part of my life that it. There's no way that it can't not be a real world in my head. It, it is so, um, a part of my life that it's just. It is its own world. It can't not be. Well, I mean, I, I find it very easy to recognise what you're saying. I, I write novels, and so you spend a lot of time... Of course, the, and it differs from writer to writer, but what appears on the page isn't necessarily the entirety of what you imagine. Then, indeed, if you're going to get a realistic feeling and a, a sense of depth, then, you, of course, you need to imagine... Uh, a great deal more until the point that it doesn't seem like imagination it seems like you're accessing something I was thinking of the Brontes as well you know the Bronte sisters had a uh, collaborative fantasy very detailed kind of Game of Thrones type fantasy world that they uh, dipped into I think that's lovely I think that you know if you've got that imagination you've got that opportunity to just slip in and out of these things it's it's like having the most awesome secret I guess when um this must happen when you're writing a novel, um, especially like a series of novels. You've invented this alternate world and no one necessarily knows about it. It's like this lovely secret where the people that you've made are imaginary. You know, you know what they look like in your head. Um, and it, it's just sort of like an alternative. It's, you, can, you can jump ship any time you want, really. In which case, if it's a place for you to retreat to, is there any anxiety attendant on sharing the fact that that place exists? Oh, I see. No, not at all. I think, um, I think if people were really honest with themselves that they would very often admit to, you know, sort of sinking off into that, that funny world. But we're very, we present a very edited version of ourselves um, when I reached probably my 20s, I was very much like, um, 
I actually don't care what people think anymore. You know, you grow up and you're very insecure. You're kind of like, oh, what are they going to think of me? And actually, I was just like, do you know what? I actually, I have, I don't care. I, I so don't care. And, and I, and I was just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want, regardless of whether people think it's the weirdest thing in the world. Um, and I think people lose that when they grow up. They, they, they lose their childhood weirdness, and they become this, uh, this very edited version of themselves which is uh the sort of um outdoor acceptable version whereas not not the one where they sort of see crazy stuff appearing on the ceiling and their dreams and you know it i'm very open and i think it's a shame that more people aren't i was shopping for underpants earlier I wasn't going to bring this up in the interview. So I was in uh, Marks and Spencers because, you know, you get your clothes from wherever, but you get your underpants from Marks and Spencers. That, that is the rule. And I was momentarily distracted by the fancy socks section. And, of course, far beyond my reach, but colourful. And for a moment, I flirted with the idea of being the guy who wears the normal clothing, but the fancy pair of socks, you know, bright yellow or something. And there's a bit of me that thinks whenever you glimpse a brightly coloured sock peeking out, particularly from beneath a business suit, I think that's a very tightly controlled version of what you're talking about. Well, I think it's sort of the opposite. I'm oh. the I'm the brightly coloured yellow socks. I'm the socks on the outside and then the organised hard drive on the inside. Ah. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. So I think I've got to get out of here. Yeah, yeah, just leave while you still can. <laughs> I think that, you know, people have this little tiny wild side of them. I've got this massive wild side and then this tiny sensible side. Um, so it's just like turning it on its head. And I think that's um, I think that's what a lot of creatives do. They, they have this like secret, very well organised bit, which is a little bit shameful. A bit shameful and, and very unfashionable. Completely. If you're an artist, you know, you should, you know, you should totally dye your hair, wear your Doc Martens and your crazy clothes. And um, because I don't know, I was thinking about this recently. When you're growing up and the, the more crazy clothes you wear, you're like, I need to express myself in this certain way. And then suddenly, when you reach an age where your career is going all right or you're quite happy with yourself, suddenly you don't feel the need to wear like crazy clothes anymore. And it's actually like, oh, I can express myself in, in okay ways. Like, it, it doesn't depend on my colour of my socks. Well, that, yes, but at that point, if you're working in the arts, then there's a bit of an expectation that you ought to be wearing something a bit silly. I'm fighting that. Uh, I know I'm, well, I'm wearing quite colourful clothes today, but, um, but I don't have uh, loads of visual piercings or any kind of craziness like that. I, 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 I like fighting against... Uh, expectation and cliches i mean probably everyone's trying to do that they're they're trying desperately hard to be different by all dressing the same you know it's like that sort of artist uniform where everyone's like sort of like oh you know i'm I'm edgy i'm funky and you're like no you just look like everyone else of the the people that are trying to be edgy and funky yes but i'm a bit worried by that because as uh, doing what i do sometimes i find myself teaching groups for example or uh, leading a leading a critique group or working with writers in that respect but particularly if you if you're teaching a writing class and you turn up on the first day and you don't look like what they think a writer should look like you're sunk and it takes you two or three weeks to uh, bring people round to the idea that you know anything about what you're talking about turn up on, a, uh, on the first day in a tweed jacket and uh, brogues and you're all the fount of all wisdom, <laughs> yeah. fount of all wisdom where writing is concerned do you know what I want to do is stand behind the counter though I realise that's the most transgressive we can get here what's behind the counter behind the counter is all the cigarettes which actually I probably shouldn't be displaying you know what I really want to do uh, I would like to stand behind the counter because there's one item that I'm hoping that you've remembered um, um, bearing in mind that this is a, a corner store, uh, 
in this part of the world. Let's see if it's been... No, I can't see. I'm looking under the counter. I can't see it. I'd like to protest at this point in the fact that there's still a couple of hours left before opening and I'm very fast at sewing. What, 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 what item is that right now? Well, you've, you've got to look after yourself, you know, in this day and age. And uh, the, the shopkeeper who doesn't have some sort of implement under the counter with which to <gasps> defend themselves is surely uh, putting themselves in danger. Oh, my goodness, you're completely right. I need a baseball bat. A felt baseball bat. Is that British enough? Maybe a cricket bat. Oh, a cricket bat, yeah. Um, or, oh, gun's a bit vicious, isn't it? Um, issues with the firing of it as well. Oh, yeah, probably it's not really allowed. Okay. Um, <laughs> I meant more the practicality of it. Oh, with the felt, you oh, yeah. You just have a burning piece of material in your hand, right? Mm, maybe it could shoot felt bullets. Yes, you've even got a... No, it's felt... That's not real. That's felt coated. That's not the real thing. You've got a pricing... <laughs> you've got a pricing gun. £25, what the hell are you selling in here? I am selling, uh, what's £25? I think it's the cans of spaghetti. I don't know, but it goes up to a million, which I find absolutely fascinating. I got it off eBay and, and it goes up to a million pounds. So you can probably, if something costs a million pounds, it wouldn't have an orange little price tag on it. But there you go. I'm not going to argue with them. Still amazing. We've, In order to reach the till, we've come around to the other side of the shelving unit here. And this is the canned goods section. We've got birds custard powder, chickpeas, butter beans. Classic. I love the detail here. We've hardly said anything about the quality of the work. I'm really impressed. How do you go about doing the lettering? I would have thought that any kind of stitching would have it ending up looking like um, digital numerals because you've got to go from point to point, but that's clearly not what's going on here. Well, you, you kind of do stuff like that by... Uh by putting it under, uh, here we go. Here's a good, uh, here's a good example. Not that you can see it. Um, tuna. So you you can very very quite neatly like um, sew on the letters um, with just a bit of uh, skillful sewing. What's, ah. what's this? Okay, oh, the, the big this? ones. Because okay, so the word tuna, you've cut it out of felt and then yes. you stitch it on in a fairly loose stitch. But beneath it, it's a yellow ah. fin and it's like handwriting. So this wonderful stuff is fabric paint. Um, Possibly, I mean, I've had a couple of people say, oh, I thought it was all going to be made out of stitching. And I've been like, oh, I'm sorry, is this not enough for you? <laughs> how, how much have I cheated by doing 4,000 stitched items with a bit of paint on? How rude. Um, yes, there's some fabric paint um, employed here. But doesn't it look, it, you can get such an amazing finish off of it. And it's available in all the colours. We've got sliced peaches here and it's blue glittery. Good enough to eat. I want to know how you ended up with these skills. Um, well, I've been doing it quite a long time. And I guess a lot of it was down to practice. I mean, as, as with everything. I'm a good sewer, but I'm not so good that I can make my own clothes. I've never, I've never made an item of my own clothing. I cannot, cannot do it. I can't follow the instructions. It just baffles me. I don't do, uh, don't do measuring and I don't do patterns. Um... But somehow it all comes out okay in the end. So I didn't go to didn't go to university or anything. My mum and my grand taught me how to sew and they taught me how to knit. Um, <laughs> Probably not for this purpose, right? Um, I'm imagining they were thinking of pullovers or something. I don't know. They knew I was a bit of a weird, well, a lot of a weird kid for from probably the day I was born. So they imagined that it, it would have gone some weird way or another. Um, and my mum's incredibly uh, supportive of the of the felt world. She uh, she um, takes great pride in that. So uh, 
I think um, they knew something weird was going on, but yeah, possibly they didn't realise that I was going to sew an entire corner shop or pornographic magazines or guns or serial killer diaries or any of the other weird stuff that I've made. Um, probably wasn't that intention. It was probably bobble hats or something. Well, we have found ourselves by coincidence or design in front of Men's Health, where I'm promised bigger arms now and seduce any woman any time in a felt fashion. What about this? Online seduction. Access her inbox. Disgusting. It's genuine. I did not make that up. Well, you copied this off Men's Health. Bits and pieces from different covers, whichever whichever sort of looked best. But, I mean, some stuff is made up, but the access her inbox is absolutely genuine. I kid you not. Before we delve into... A f- I mean, OK, this is a bit of a weird interview. So, like, it was perfectly normal up until now. But, <laughs> but what I'm proposing to do is essentially just open a, a fabricated version of a sex magazine whilst recording the weekly podcast. This is not normal. I'm going to take a step back and ask about some of these other projects you've been alluding to. Let's see if I can pathologise the brain behind this. So I've made two big porn mags. Well, so hold on, hold on. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was project number one? Oh, actual, project as, number as opposed one. to sort of leisure activity number, but actual project number oh, one. Oh, my goodness. I made, a, I made a stitched tube map about five years ago. Um, that was pretty good. And then TFL were like, oh, it's copyright. And I was like, it's sewn, you idiots. It's not copyright. <laughs> um, and plus, I spelt it all wrong as well. So it's, it's, I don't think there's too much of a crime there. Well, I see no problem there at all. I don't think so. Um, I made a um, telephone box that was full size, eight foot four. I had to step on a ladder to be able to build it. Mm. Um, the nice part of that, though, was the tart cards inside. And I think perhaps that was the, uh, the, the first avenue into um, soft porn so to speak, literally. <laughs> I think that's a, a, probably a unique route into soft porn. I think so, but, you know, you've, you've got to take what, what you're offered, really, and it was wonderful to, to take that avenue and, and dive straight in. Without further ado, shall we go for Maximum the Berry Top Shirt? What's this? There's another one up here. Uh, loaded. Load, loaded, yes, that's quite right that that's on the top shelf. Reach the places no man has gone before. Well, we've also got Playboy and... Um, and Razzle coming in a couple of hours, so uh, they should be uh, even filthier. I hesitate to ask about the pictorial content. Oh, it's X-rated. You have to be 18 and over. Do you? Absolutely. No, I mean, do you? No, I think you do. So you're producing porn? Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's really bad. I'm producing porn. Well, it's nice porn. It's artistic. So I don't think it's too bad. OK, I'm a little bit concerned now. That's, that's about the third time you've said something uh, very... I mean, I don't think there's a legal... <laughs> there's necessarily a legal dimension to that. But you are, for example... You mentioned the tube map situation. And there might be a cigarette situation. You're displaying, uh, albeit fake, packets of cigarettes. And there's a lot of brand names going on in this display as well. And I pretty much get the feeling that there's a, uh, a, f- a felt uh, veil being drawn down between you and the perception of some of those issues. I think so. Um, I did think about this and I've been asked it quite a few times. What happens with the copyright issue? What, you know, are you going to get sued? Um I've never been someone who behaves very well or accepts authority very well at all. Um, And I figure that, really, if they're going to kick up a fuss about a felt can of beans, then 
they'll probably come across worse than I will, and I'm ready for any fight that they might instigate. Yes, I'm wondering which products are likely to uh, to think it worth the while and which ones wouldn't. Um, I wonder, I mean, this may, may not be something that you know, it's certainly not something I know, but what was the situation with Warhol and his Campbell's soup? Did it, was there a, a rights issue there? I don't, I mean, not that I know of. Um, from from all that I've sort of read, I just, I got the impression that it was all just about um, recreating the normal, um, making the everyday into art and... and um, sort of that association the bad thing is any artist who's done anything with a soup can or any kind of canned product now is a uh, sort of um a bit labeled with that which is a problem i did a i did a big uh tapestry a couple of years back for my first solo show which is um imitation which i made felt replicas of all the famous artworks the most famous artworks but with a twist so i had damien hurst's shark in a tank and he had this big sign in his mouth and he said, Damien Hurst murdered my brother. Um, uh, and a tox tag on the side of the shark. So it was just bringing it up to, you know, present day. Um, so I made this big tapestry and it was uh, Cameron's, Cameron's defecation soup. Yes, insert synonym here. <laughs> exactly. I made some prints and I had so many people. I, I was selling them on, uh, on these little, little, little stalls in Birmingham because my friend um, lives there. I had these little old ladies who'd come up and be like, "Oh, Andy Warhol," and like not having a single clue of what it actually said. And I was like, "Yes, yes, that'll be ten pounds, please." <laughs> so it's that sort of like it's become so famous that even parodies don't break it. You bring up an issue though that I find myself asking increasingly often when it comes to well a lot of different things really. And obviously, we're in a time when it's difficult to make ends meet. And uh, despite the government insisting that everything is getting better, I think sometimes it might not feel that way. But how do you, having done all this work, how do you go about staying alive? Um, 11p noodles from Asda. That's, uh, other supermarkets are available, obviously. Um, I, think, I think more of the question, <laughs> yeah. more of the question was not the foodstuffs, but you seem to not monetize what you're doing here. <laughs> I, I do still find it very difficult because I don't know whether it's because I'm a bit of a cheapskate myself, I find it very difficult to price my artwork very high because I rely on my income my income from art so much that I'm still, a part of me is scared that if I don't price it low enough, it won't sell and I won't eat that month. I won't be able to pay my rent. Um, so many people, you know, they give this advice. They're like, oh, you know, it's it's too cheap. It's too cheap. It's like, well, you pay my bills then. You know, it, it's... We we are living in a time where people don't have a lot of money or they think they don't have a lot of money or, or I, I have no idea, but they don't have money to spend on, on art. I want things to be affordable. I don't want crazy prices because I can or whatever. Uh, I don't want that to put people off. I don't want just rich people to own my art. Um, I want it to be available for everyone. And I I think that's quite a an honest and genuine belief that a lot of artists have, but they're maybe forced into acting otherwise well i suppose you have to go after a different sort of customer then when you would have to get your million pound price tag zapper out but i would think that if you're doing a piece of art that's going to appeal to someone with that sort of money then you would be starting to think about what sort of lifestyle they've got and what kind of wall they might want to hang it on and to some extent catering for the the scale and tastes that one might associate with that sort of life well exactly and that's 
exactly the sort of lifestyle I don't necessarily think my art would appeal to anyway. I think they're possibly more likely to go for nice screen-printed canvases of Kate Moss or Banksy and the kind of more trendier things. And, I mean... That sounds rather dismissive of people with money. No, no. Obviously, people with money are very welcome to come in the shop. That would be lovely. But... (laughs) Says says every shopkeeper ever. (laughs) However, yes, there is this element that I think all artists run into where they, they have to sort of maintain this thing of... You know, I'm not a sellout. I'm gonna, you know, I'm 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 all about the art still. And you know, you offer someone anyone enough money, and I think they will roll over and just be like, oh, okay. Ideally, I'd love for my art to be owned by absolutely everyone, for it to be very cheap. I intend on selling it for the prices that are set, which is you know the odd thirty, forty pounds. I think that is totally reasonable. It's it's a unique bit of art. Oh, I've just understood what the prices on the price gun were all about. Yes. <laughs> I thought they were flippant. No, not Oh, I at see, all. of course, because you're selling the art, not the can of... <laughs> OK, so the, cr- the crossover with realism there just, just uh, pranged me. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, everything in the shop is for sale. Everything is priced as it would be with a pricing gun because, you know... Oh, right, that's an element I didn't realise. So actually, uh, when I said that you're not monetized, you very much are. This is a, a working shop. Absolutely. Um, I don't have space to keep the produce. I think that my housemates would go absolutely bonkers if they thought this was coming back home. So everything does have to sell. Um, it would be great to to sort of be paid to for all the work that I've done. You know, I've I've got I've been really lucky enough to have Arts Council funding and the Kickstarter funding and, and sponsorship from Swizzles. It's been amazing. But an art exhibition like this costs such a, such a lot of money. It would be lovely to not only get the recognition for it, but to also um, pay the bills and to, to make a living out of it. It would be fantastic. But it's affordable enough prices that I think I'm not taking the mickey. Would you believe that we're almost at the end of the hour? And there, there was, was, I suppose, one angle I wanted to finish on because I started my piece today alone in the street, wondering what I was going to encounter and, I guess, reflecting on my experience of interviewing guests and my experience of approaching what seems like a wacky subject. And so maybe the perfect bookend from you would be your experience of handling media, which is an area that it's difficult to get people to be honest about because, well, for for obvious reasons. But it's something that I know you've been doing lots of today and have had to do in the past, and your experience of that will mature. And I think you're somebody who speaks your mind. Absolutely. So what's your what, what can you say about that? Um, uh, no, I'm not going to be careful. I'm going to be completely honest. It's, it's it's crazy when it when it kicks off and it really really goes it's it is it is like a whirlwind you'll hear people saying that a lot but it absolutely is you, your phone is ringing everything's going crazy everyone wants something yesterday and you have to provide this and and obviously everyone thinks that their their publication or their thing is so much more important than everyone else's and I I can understand that you know in in that sort of tunnel vision everything obviously is you get very good at talking in well I'm not doing a great job of it now to be fair um you get very good at talking in very concise sentences um you suddenly become very aware of um all the words that you overuse I'm really bad at really very um all those kind of things and I say um a lot um there you go. 
honestly that wasn't on purpose it's been really interesting and a real journey uh sounds kind of cheesy but i've learned a lot and i've learned how to appeal and to tailor projects and exhibitions to certain audiences and to certain publications and i think once you get that it becomes a lot lot easier to be able to get the amount of press that you want obviously from an art exhibition um you have to have eyes in the back of your head you have to be answering your phone and you have to generally not sleep and that's what it's been like in the last uh, week especially the last two days have just been crazy and i imagine tomorrow's probably going to be uh, crazy after the opening as well so uh, not least because you've just discovered that you've got an urban invader going on here as we started the interview. A set of footprints were discovered, not human. I can't believe it. I, I was just going down to cover the front of the fridge with a piece of fabric and I think it's a fox. There's some dusty little fox footprints and someone has been sleeping in my fridge. All those sandwiches are going to be ruined. Yeah, they're just going to be nibbled right through. I don't quite know what I'm going to do about it. I've, I'm going to have to go around the whole property just trying to find holes. But these little things, they're, they're so tiny, they can just squeeze through anything. So it's going to, be, uh, going to be the next couple of hours trying to track down whatever animals come in. Well, we, we've got to stop. We're out of time. And you're nearly out of time as well, so I need to release you to your duties. If you want to come, listener, and see a fox and coincidentally a lot of stitch stuff and somebody who may be daydreaming and in felt world uh where do they need to come they need to come to 19 wellington row london e2 7bb and that's where the corner shop is and what we're really saying there is get off at cambridge heath or bethnal green tube or somewhere like that maybe one of the buses that services those roads and you're just going a couple of blocks back rather rather pleasant walk on a day like this oh it's very very close you can i mean i think even old street is is very easy to get off little walk five minutes maximum come and see something amazing this is Mary. thanks very much thank you very much and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Lucy Sparrow. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.